0: Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnansky, national columnist from NBC Sports, and with me, as always, Michael Shore, executive producer for Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine Nine. Michael,
1: welcome back. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure.
0: It's great to it's great to get started here. You know, i we we are going to do. Um, we're sticking with the same format that we had last time because it was so successful. Right. Uh, we're doing our ten minute. Uh, our 10-minute conversation, and then uh, and then going right to the draft. But I do have to ask you this, because it's so important to me. The American League East is horrendous. Terrible. It's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. That's all. I just wanted to say
1: that. Yeah, it's very weird. I, you know, I, I think as of yesterday, every team, the only team in the AL East with a non-negative run differential was uh, I think Toronto or Tampa Bay? I can't remember. And that and they were neutral. They had scored the same amount of runs they had let up, and they were in last place. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, it's very weird. You know, the Yankees have this right now. I think have the second worst run differential in all of baseball, and they're in first place at a game over five hundred. <laughs> the only team with a worse run differential than the Yankees was the Astros, and the and that's and the Yankees were sixteen and fifteen. It's, it's, it's very strange.
0: It is strange. It's it's really
1: weird. And I think it's a little fluky. I mean, I would imagine that at least a couple of the, I mean, the Red Sox have, have gotten off to a bad start. They've also been incredibly unlucky. Uh, they've had terrible uh, karma with runners in scoring position. They've had a bunch of weird replay calls go against them that shouldn't have like, it just, it's just been a little bit of a slog, but I would imagine that by the end of the year, the Boston Tampa Bay, and maybe New York will be playing a lot better than they're playing right now. Yeah, I think.
0: yeah. no, I think they'll be playing better. But I think in general, that division is weak. I, yeah. I, I think it's that that's I don't believe that's going to change. And I also don't believe something that's going to change is we are going to get so much Derek Jeter angst over the next four months. Oh, God. And it's yeah, already I, starting.
1: Well, Rob and I wrote a column about Brendan Ryan coming off the disabled list. And the, like seriously raising the question of whether the Yankees should be starting him at short over Jeter, which is like crazy to think about. But he can at least field the ball. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think we're gonna see. This is I. I, I really I, I don't think he deserves this as much as as you and I have uh, have been tired of the Derek Jeter sort of you know the 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 love affair and all of that. Yeah it's going to be kind of Willie Mays falling down in the outfield for him. I mean, that's, that's how it's looking. I mean, he's, he, he got off to a, like a reasonable start and he's been basically unplayable for the last three or four weeks. And I don't know that that's going to change that much. And you're going to have Yankee fans like wanting Brendan Ryan in the game. Brendan Ryan can't hit at all. And they're going to want him in the game. Um, and that's going to be the celebration, the Derek Jeter, hey, thank you for all those years, man. We hate you. We it's, just a real, hate
1: it's, a, you. it's a real bummer because, you know, as much as I dislike the guy because he, he was part of the Yankees dynasty and all that, you just like Mariano. Mariano's skill set allowed him to have an incredible final season because he throws 11 pitches a game and stuff. But you can't be, you know, Derek Jeter's age coming off of Derek Jeter's injury and play shortstop every day. And be expected to like have a good year. It's just impossible. It's too hard. And it's a bummer. Like you don't, you don't, you want guys who've had the careers that he's had to go out on a high note. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen, which is just kind of sad.
0: It is sad. I mean, it really, it really is sad. And like I say, I don't think it's going to get better. And you know, look, part of it is that he shouldn't be a full-time player. Now he should be, uh, well, he's not going to be, cause I don't think he'll stay healthy anyway, but He shouldn't be a full-time player. He should be a 250, 300, 350 at-bat guy who plays, you know, doesn't really play a lot of shortstop. Maybe gets 30 games at short or something. I mean, that's what he should be on a good team. Yeah. But he's Derek Jeter, and they're not going to do that to him. So,
1: You know, in a weird way, the best thing that could happen for him and for Yankee fans is if the Yankees are, like, out of contention in July, and then they can kind of mix and match and DH him sometimes, and then, like, in a couple meaningless games at the stadium in August, you know, he can have a, like, in the eighth inning, he'll come in and flare a single to right and score the winning run from second, and he'll create a couple more of those, like, great memories for Yankee fans, and then they can wave goodbye. Like, that would be the best scenario, because if they're in playoff contention and they're playing him every day, the chances are much higher that he'll be actively harming the team's chances of getting into the playoffs than that he'll be contributing to them.
0: Yeah. No, I don't think there's any question about it. And I think that's what makes them already discussing whether or not to put Brendan Ryan in. It's May. I mean, we're in May, and they're already thinking, hey, this guy who wouldn't be good enough to be a backup for us under normal circumstances, I mean, although he's a great, great defensive shortstop, I mean, he's a 160-type hitter. I mean, he's really not playable at the Major League level uh, because of his bat. And there really are going to be people that are going to say, well, look, at least he can catch the ball. You know, which, I mean, Derek, I mean, Jeter can catch it if it's hit right at them, but, but that's pretty much where we are. So what what are we doing? We're
1: already screwing up. our. I know.
0: Own- I know that's, we never should have done that, but I had to, I couldn't, you can't <laughs> let this opportunity pass. All right. Our 10 minute conversation. You've got the clock. You can make it eight minutes if you want to, if you want to try to make up no, for let's,
1: we, we got to try to establish this i'm going <laughs> to stay at 10 but next time we're not going to do the preamble
0: <laughs> all right no preamble next time 10 minute conversation you and i with a major major disagreement on um the intentional walk and uh, so we're going to discuss for 10 minutes the intentional walk and the clock starts
1: now got it well uh i hate intentional walks more than anything <laughs> And I know you strongly disagree with my point of view, and we'll get to your side of this in a second. Just settle down. But intentional walks are nonsense, and it it feels like this weird vestige of the old universe before people started actually analyzing the effect of various traditional baseball plays on games. But let's be clear. There are certain times, obviously, when it makes sense. If you're in the National League and the eighth-place hitter is up and there's runners on second and third and two outs or a runner on second and two outs... You walk the 8th place hitter and you pitch to the starting pitcher because the starting pitcher hits 74 or whatever. Obviously, that's that's the classic example. There are other examples that are in the same ballpark. When there's an extremely weak hitter on deck and there's a decent hitter at the plate and first base is open, yes, fine, you can intentionally walk the guy. But if you look at a neutral situation with a neutral hitter across all of baseball, there's no situation where adding a base runner helps your defense. Every single situation in which you put an additional person on base, no matter what the scenario is, increases the run expectation of that situation. And so given that, unless it is an extreme example, unless the on-deck hitter is a pitcher or Brendan Ryan <laughs> or someone like that, and the guy that you're pitching to is really good or at least you know average or better than average, Basically, all you're doing, in my opinion, is creating a situation where your pitcher has to be perfect, has no margin for error. In other words, you're taking a major weapon away from a pitcher, which is throwing borderline pitches or actual balls and trying to get guys to chase because hitters also tend to hit better when the bases are loaded. Across all of baseball, this is true. For whatever reason, hitters tend to hit better when the bases are loaded than they do in normal situations. And anecdotally, over the first month of this season, I've seen, as I do every year, a thousand times when, when it's like, oh, let's intentionally walk this guy to pitch to this guy, and then the pitcher just walks in a run or walks a guy, the next guy and now loads the bases when it was only first and second or whatever, because the hitters are are playing are in a better situation than they were before you did it. And I think that it's like it's one of these situations where, At some point, some manager is going to say, no more. I'm not intentionally walking anybody, except in the most extreme of situations. And that manager is going to find that he has a lot more success in those situations than the managers do who intentionally walk people. That is my position. I know you have the exact opposite position, so why don't you go ahead and try to make that argument?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I really don't like when this thing devolves into uh, an around-the-horn type of atmosphere, but – but that's the situation we just have to roll with. We have to roll with it. So here, here's my thought, and, and I'm sorry that you, you feel your way. I, I hate the intentional walk, okay? I hate it. I just find it to be um, such – well, there's, there's the strategic element of the intentional walk, which is one side of it. And then there's the competitive side of the intentional walk, which is the other side. Um, unlike your feeling on it, I don't think strategically it works very often. Okay. It feels to me like the strategy of the play very, very rarely are you going to get a strategic advantage by putting a runner on base, but I'd like to concentrate for a minute on the competitive value of it. Um, nothing stinks more than watching a good hitter come up to the plate and the other team too afraid to face him. No other sport gives you that option. No other sport allows you to, for a minor penalty, not face the other team's best player. Okay, there's no... It it, it would be like in basketball if they said, if you can foul the guy before he gets to the half-court line, he gets only one free throw. I mean, that's basically what it is. You are allowed to interrupt the flow of play with your own stupid strategy in order to avoid the other team's best player that's not good for the game. That's not good for the fans. That's not fun. That's not competitive in any way. And I don't understand, honestly, when people argue that it is good for the game. I mean, and and I get those emails all the time. We can argue the strategy point of it forever we can argue you know it's it's almost never worth it you can make a pretty strong argument it's not worth it even to walk to the pitch to get the pitcher because you're getting the pitcher and you're just setting up the next inning where you're giving them their leadoff hitter on top there's there's a lot of different arguments you can make but from a competitive standpoint i don't see how there is another argument i there's no way it's good for the game saying okay well you can either see miguel cabrera come up with two runners on and and face this great closer in a big moment, or you can watch that closer throw four, you know, balls to him and then watch somebody who's not as good as Miguel Cabrera come
1: up. Okay, I- well, joking aside, I will give a small counter-argument to that, uh, to that argument, Okay. which is that that that's just the way the game is. The game is if you get four balls, you walk. And if you remove the intentional walk and say no more intentional walks, A guy could just throw four, like sort of like slow change ups in the dirt, and then walk Miguel Cabrera in that scenario. Anyway, like you know, pitchers are good enough generally not to to be able to throw. You could, you know, you could they could figure out a way around it. If you if you illegalized the intentional walk, guys would still find a way to pitch around Barry Bonds and Miguel Cabrera and whatever. So that that part of it, I agree that it's like a bummer. But it's also just the rules of the game are if you don't want someone to be able to hit the ball, you can make that happen, whether or not it's intentional. So that it actually that bums me out less, I would say, than this than the strategic element of it because you know
0: your point is I mean that that point is fair. However, I think what the big problem is is you do not uh, the penalty for walking somebody on four pitches is not what it should be. In my opinion,
1: what should it be? If you were were the commissioner and the the overseer of all of baseball and you could write the rules from the beginning, what would the penalty be for an intentional walk?
0: One of the best examples, one of the best, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, suggestions out there and people have talked about this, but I believe it was Tom Tango came up with my favorite one so far, or maybe it was Bill James. It, It was one of the two. And, uh, basically what they said is that you're allowed to turn down a walk that you're allowed to turn it down. And if you uh-huh. tr- if you turn it down, then you start your bat over again. But now, if they walk you, you get second base. Basically, it's you're adding a base. And obviously, you're putting yourself at risk, but you are adding a base, which you would almost never do. You would almost never turn down the walk, but you would turn it down if you were Miguel Cabrera in the ninth inning. I mean, that's I, that to me is like it's. I like it because it would focus on just those very very rare situations. Where um, you are basically trying to avoid the other team's best hitter, which is my least favorite kind of intentional walk. I don't like any of them, and the the strategy of it drives me insane. I see guys walk to get into uh, the worse. You know, they'll they'll walk a righty in order to get the bad righty lefty combination. Yeah. They'll yeah. walk a worse hitter to face a better one, uh, hoping for the double play. They'll do all kinds of goofy things. With the walk, and I think it's because they're bored. I really do. I think managers they kind of feel like they've got to get involved. They've got to somehow have some say on the game. It's kind of hard to sit there and do nothing, and I think that's a big reason why we have so many intentional walks. It's I don't think it's strategically very smart, but I really don't like the anti-competitive part of it.
1: What if an intentional walk? Led to all base runners advancing one base, regardless of whether they were forced or not.
0: I've thought about that too. I mean, obviously, that would take out the second and third intentional walk. And yeah. you know, and the other thing it would do, which I, I, if you have a fast guy on first base who you know might give you a, a stolen base attempt, which would be awesome to watch. Stolen base attempts are fun. Um, if he has a good hitter coming up after him, he won't do it because he he knows that they'll then intentionally walk the good hitter right and and again, if you would just do okay, hey, everybody moves up a base on a walk, no matter what um or on a four pitch walk i mean you could there there are lots of different ways to play with it. Every other sport is willing to kind of not treat their rules as sort of holy and and sacred. They're willing to kind of move them around a little bit based on the times. I don't have any question in my mind that in, if if people had known in eighteen eighty that there were going to be other people that were going to intentionally walk good players just to avoid them. I think they would have tried to make the rule a little bit harder to make that to make it do that.
1: I would say that it would it would, should be in that scenario it would be all runners advance one base and if you're forced you move two bases. So if there's a because basically what would happen is you would start getting intentional walks when there was a guy on first because advancing one base who cares? Right. That's the same thing as a runner on second and then walking the guy. So if you had a runner on first, that guy would go to third. That would be awesome. That would be very interesting.
0: That way, an intentional walk or a walk of any kind or a four-pitch walk with the bases loaded, two runs.
1: Oh, there it is. There it is. What, what kind of alarm clock is that? What you, what? Well, it's my iPhone thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounded like some old, like, My Little Pony iPhone, you know, like, I, alarm.
1: I don't know how to use this, generally. <laughs> I, I don't understand how to use my phone.
0: All right, we're done talking. We're done talking about the intentional walk. I, our disagreement there is just is it ama- – we're, we're usually on the same page on these things. I know, from,
1: but from time to time, we're going to have these violent disagreements. We just have to roll with it. It's not going to affect our friendship. That's good to know.
0: That is very good to know. All right, it's time for our draft. I have to admit I'm very excited about our draft. I was so happy with our last draft. Yeah. Um We drafted superheroes last time, and the response <laughs> – was just fantastic. People were so mad.
1: I mean, they were so angry. And that's a, like the angriest tweets and emails <laughs> I've ever gotten in my life.
0: It was, it was so great. Just people, just like, why wow, you couldn't have done a little research? Something. I mean, you just, you got their powers wrong. You, yeah, they were so mad.
1: regard well, so- despite the fact that I announced at the beginning in an umbrella way <laughs> that I didn't care about superheroes, and further announced that my six-year-old son had been the one who had, who had told me who to draft. And then, despite the fact that I had said that I was drafting Aquaman only (laughs) because my six-year-old son told me to, and I didn't care about Aquaman and thought Aquaman was lame, I still got like 500, like, how could you draft Aquaman (laughs) tweets and emails. I was like, all right, well, I guess I couldn't have given any more caveats at the beginning of that. So I guess it's just something that makes people very upset.
0: it was it was fantastic it's my favorite draft because yeah. of that because of the reaction uh, i think we'll get a probably a similar reaction to this draft uh we are drafting uh, sports penalties yeah that is what we're drafting and that and that again as with all of our drafts uh that is the only um that's the only thing we're saying we we're not saying what a sports penalty is
1: right. we're just
0: drafting sports penalties Right. And, uh, I believe who has the first pick in the draft. I think, I think you do. Oh, that's right. Cause you, you took Batman with yeah. your first pick last time. Right. So I've got my first pick and, and I, I have to admit, I spent hours and hours and hours kind of crunching the numbers on this and, you know, working out the different penalties and trying to figure sure. out what is going to be my number one. Cause this is a tough one. And in, in many ways, I think this is the toughest draft and, I came up with, and I don't know that I feel that good about it, but I did anyway. I am taking with the number one pick in the twenty fourteen Sports Penalty Draft. Uh, I am taking pass interference as my as my number one, and I know that's a shocker. I know that that's like, yes. that's people are really shocked all over the country uh, by this pick, but uh, but but I'll explain why I am doing this. There there are two reasons why I am doing it. First of all, it is I think the most powerful penalty. In all of sports. Um, obviously, there's the penalty shot in, in soccer, which probably would, you know, you could argue that that would be bigger. But the 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 pass interference, obviously, if somebody commits pass interference in the end zone, essentially they're giving up a touchdown. They're yeah. essentially just giving up a score. And if they totally interfere with the guy and don't get called for pass interference, then it feels like they're... You're giving up a touchdown. You have, you've lost a touchdown that you somehow earned. Um, it, is so, it is so dominant in the sport. It is such a big aspect of the sport. Every element of the passing game is built to me around, did he or did he not you know interfere with the passer? And yep. people who back off and let you go and let you catch the ball, that's so they won't interfere. It's, it is, to me, the most overpowering penalty in all of sports. So that's number one. But the second thing I like about the pass interference, and I thought a lot about this, is there was a time where they had to invent that, invent the pass interference. And they're watching the game, you know, however the early part of the game was being played, where the forward pass was not a big part. And it dawned on somebody, you know, if we don't invent this penalty, you will not be able to pass the ball to anybody. It would literally eliminate the passing game. Because right. all you'd have to do is tackle the guy. The guy could never catch the ball, ever. You would. It is, it is a penalty that everybody has to abide by, or else there would be no such thing as the forward pass in football. And that's, to me, an overwhelming penalty. There's nothing to me that's quite like, it, it doesn't just structure the game. It's like the entire game is built around the fact that if I interfere with that guy, uh, there's going to be this massive penalty called on me. But if there was no penalty, I could that guy would catch zero passes against me today. I, he would never ever catch a ball because I would just tackle him. I, I just think that to me makes it the most important penalty in all of sports.
1: That's very. Uh, you know what? It seemed like a reach, but that's a pretty <laughs> compelling argument. I also like that there's offensive pass interference, yeah. <laughs> which is, is which is never called, but when it is, it's often. almost as dramatic as defensive pass interference because usually what has happened is a receiver has caught a a ball like deep over the middle or something or or on the sidelines and then and you think that team has advanced the ball 30 yards (laughs) and then actually it goes the other way and it goes 15 yards back and now it's like second and 25 or something it's like it's they they all the results of those penalties are almost always incredibly dramatic yeah. whether it's offensive or defensive.
0: Well, that's great because offensive pass interference is you they almost always catch the ball. So it almost right. always is this huge powerful play and you're thinking first down and then that other that defender is like pointing at them, and the official is like kind of looking and the flag comes in and there's that great moment where you don't know if they're going to call it offensive or defensive. It's yeah. Like both of them really were interfering with each other. And and the other thing about it is they don't know how to – nobody really knows what it is. I mean, it's like you see the most obvious versions of it, and you're like, okay, well, that's obviously interference. But most of the time, whatever the call happens to be, the announcer will then – like, he'll adjust his call based on what the call is. In other words, he'll say, oh, well, you're not allowed to shield your hand in front of the guy. That's past interference. But if they don't call it, then, you, then he goes, oh, well, that's a great play. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a good defensive play. So it's, it's like it totally affects the way we watch the game and college football where it is a completely different penalty.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah,
0: And then it's no fun at all. I yeah. mean, oh, you know, it's 15 yards. It's just like a regular penalty. It's like, why don't you interfere every play? I mean, every time somebody almost catches a ball or is in, like, good position to make, like, a 40-yard catch, tackle them. I, yeah. I don't see why you wouldn't tackle them every time.
1: Yeah. No, it's a good point. It's a good pick. I like it. It's a little bit of a reach, but I think it's a good pick.
0: All right. We'll we'll, we'll feel
1: good about it. All right. For my first pick, I'm going with offsides. Now, offsides is kind of boring. Um, it's like a five-yard penalty in football, and it's in multiple sports, obviously. It's not just football, but I like it because <clears throat> it's kind of the most basic penalty in sports. Like, there is a line in the sport that you're talking about, whether it's football or soccer or hockey or whatever. And you're just not allowed to be on the other side of that line. Like that's, that's the basic idea. Right. And like, it's the, it, it, there's something very, very like kind of fundamental and basic about it in a way that I like. It's also basically the only penalty called in soccer, you know, like you can't foul people in soccer, but the only other thing you can't do is be offsides. And when you figure out what offsides is in soccer, it's like the key to understanding soccer. The moment that you understand offsides in soccer is the moment that you understand how soccer is played. And I just like how kind of straightforward it is. It's like you can't be there. Here's the line. Here's where the ball is, or here's where the last defender before the keeper is. You can't be on that side of him. You got to stay on this side. And it there's it's just a very like it's just very fundamental and basic in a way that that kind of makes sports possible. The sports that it is called in.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a great penalty. I mean, first of all, offside was a was a definite number one. I was thinking about him at number one. Um, it's a great penalty across all sports. It's the best penalty in soccer. I mean, yeah. you know that's that's where offside is really shines. There was a play the other day uh, in the Premier League, and I'm not going to remember which game it was, but it was essentially um, it was a breakaway. Uh, the, whichever team I, I can't remember which team was was, uh, I think it was Chelsea was involved. Um, There was a breakaway with two guys and there was no defender between them. And the goalie ran up like they always do. And at the last second, one guy passed it to the other guy and the other guy scored the goal and everybody went crazy. And I, you know, I I consider myself a a soccer fan. I thought, well, that's offside, right? There's no defender anywhere near that other guy. Why, Why is that not offside? To me, that was like, that, that seemed offside. And I guess the reason it was not offside, which they did not explain on television, is he passed it backward. You're allowed to pass it backward. Huh. Uh, see,
1: I didn't know. Did you know that? No, I thought the rule was that there have to be two defenders between, between you and the goal. You and the goal, right? That's right. Yep. But this was clearly there was not.
0: There were two two players on the same team breaking away, and the, the goalie um, came out. He was the only guy between them. And then uh, and they he passed one guy passed to the other and the other scored, and I asked a friend of mine who is a soccer whiz or says he is, and uh, he said, well, that's because it was a backward pass and you're allowed to make backward passes. Oh. so there that's... you go. I had no idea. Did you have any idea about that?
1: No, I I, I think I would have assumed that the that the rule doesn't apply
0: on if, breakaways
1: on a breakaway or something if the, if the last defender was is behind the ball already at the beginning of the play or something Oh, maybe i don't know if in other words if the person holding the ball was on side at the moment he took possession or whatever i
0: don't know i don't either no i mean that's you know and i'm sure that we'll get plenty of complaints about that too but i didn't know that rule and uh still don't know it because otherwise to me it's clear offside i mean i don't understand why it wouldn't be um but that's that was how it was explained so anyway offside is this mystery you know it's this mysterious thing that is very very cool. By the Sorry. way, the,
1: the other great thing about offsides is that is that in soccer, you're asking the usually the side referees to be looking in two places at once, like <laughs> it's, which is impossible. they they have to be looking where at the at the player who has the ball at the moment the ball is played, and at the point where the last defender stands, which is sometimes a whatever a forty yard gap. <laughs> And somehow they're supposed to be able to look in both places at the same exact instant and determine whether the players are on sides. It's literally impossible. And yeah. it, it's it's crazy how often they get it right, I would say. Uh, but it, it's also like, it's one of those quirks of soccer where soccer is, is like this incredibly basic sport that has like these, that refuses to change with the time and is only now go- thinking like, oh, maybe we should have a one other way that we can tell if a ball goes across the goal line <laughs> Like just after hundreds of years. Uh, it, but it drives me crazy that they don't have multiple people to do that job, which clearly requires multiple people.
0: I, I got to say, I, it does surprise me all the time that they don't just, I mean, badly miss offside. I mean, well, they badly. Do.
1: That's the thing. They're often like they call offsides and they aren't. Right. Or they they don't call it. And they are like it's it happens all the time. And it's because it's impossible to look at two places at the same time.
0: But they don't miss it. Like, I mean, there are times that I would think that, like, a guy could be like 30 yards past everybody else. Yeah. And they would miss it. But honestly, don't don't you feel like offside in general in soccer, um, they tend to call it more often than they don't. I mean, in other words, like on a really close play, they would rather call offside then then let the play go on
1: i think you're right i yeah. think they lean toward offside yeah yeah,
0: yeah. so it's a fascinating it's a great it's a great and by the way terrible nfl penalty oh the worst <laughs> it's the worst it's like the worst. it shouldn't be called offside it's so bad
1: yeah and there's also there's also all these weird parsings of it there's like <laughs> encroachment you know or there's like, like
0: illegal motion
1: yeah oh yeah or like you know yeah, it just uh, uh, yeah, it's terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad penalty. It's a bad foot. It's a bad NFL penalty. Great soccer penalty. All right, I'm going to go with my second pick, kind of along those same lines, just because of the mystery of it. I'm going with icing as as a as my second pick. Icing is a a fantastic penalty because you know I I think we've talked about this before. I have no idea how to play craps. I mean, like literally no idea. And I've watched it for hours on end, and I still don't understand it. And and people have explained it to me, and they're like, oh, it's really simple. But no matter how many different times they explain it to me, I still don't get it. I still yeah. have no – that's how icing is. That to me is icing. Like icing, the very basics of icing, kind of like the very basics of craps, is pretty simple. You're not allowed to just smack the puck all the way down the ice in order to get it out of your zone. I mean that's a, that's a pretty basic thing. But there are like – thousands of exceptions to that rule it's like all right well but if it's a if it's a power play and right, i get that one the power play is like you can't do that but then there's also like eh, you could have chased that down so it's like we're waving off icing because yeah. we think you could have chased that down and then there are times they just call they don't call it or do call it and i to this day I have no idea why like there's nobody nearby and there's they're not waving it off and there's not a power play Nah, it's just icing now we decided we're not calling it this time or we are calling it i i really think that there's like a made-up quality to icing that that is only hockey people like true people who were born in edmonton uh are the only people that know how it works
1: yeah i bet if you gave wayne gretzky truth sir to <laughs> describe icing he wouldn't be able to do it <laughs>
0: Yeah, he would be. He would sit there and tell you exactly. That's the same way that people do it with craps. They're like, is no, there, no. If you roll a seven, sometimes a seven is good. Sometimes a seven is bad. Like I don't, I don't get it. I is don't there
1: get something? I, I'm completely ignorant of it. But is there something about the a two line pass? Is that the same thing or not the same thing as icing? Is that good or bad? I don't know.
0: Now I thought that they eliminated the two line pass.
1: I, I right? thought too, but yeah. then sometimes I don't know. I, I I I'm so ignorant of those rules, but it It always is like whenever I watch hockey, which is pretty rarely, and there's something it, it seems to me that icing is always being waved off that's what what happens is it's like well, the guy whips the puck down the ice and you are and i in, in my head I'm like, oh that's icing and then the ref just waves it off and you don't there's no explanation of why you I have no idea why it seems like it's random it's like they it's almost like craps they roll the dice and if a four comes up they wave it off
0: they wave it off they're just like no that's doesn't feel like icing. Maybe icing is like this artistic thing. It's like, oh, eh, that's it just, interesting. just doesn't feel that doesn't feel like icing.
1: It's the Supreme court definition of <laughs> pornography. It's like, you know, it when you see it, that's how they, that's how they determine whether it's icing.
0: It's a great penalty though. You have to, all right. admit, it's a great penalty
1: uh, for my number two penalty. I'm going to take traveling traveling. Uh, first of all, it's called traveling, which is <laughs> hilarious. If you think about it, like traveling is a very funny way to describe what is happening. The second reason is it's never called, ever. It's never called in the NBA, at least. It's, it seems to me that someone travels on roughly a third of the plays that are run in NBA offenses, and it's never called. If you don't believe me, go to YouTube and uh, type in Dwayne Wade travel. I think the actual video is called Dwayne Wade have ball will travel or something. <laughs> And it's it's Dwayne Wade takes the ball, walks for about a quarter of a mile, then he's looking to pass the ball. He moves his he takes a step forward with his right foot. He's still looking to pass the ball into the post. Then he takes another step forward with his left foot. Then he takes a third step forward with his right foot. And he's literally motionless. Like he's not it's not the flow of the game. He's just standing there, just slowly walking toward the basket. And it was and traveling is not called. And I recently got into a Twitter debate with a bunch of people because in the Mavs Spurs game 6 when Tony Parker was just going crazy toward the end of the game. The Mavs eventually won, but Parker did made an incredible move. He got the ball, he, just, he was dribbling down the left side. He did a 360 spin and then hit a layup. But after the 360 spin, which was debatably traveling, after he stopped, he shuffled both of his feet toward the basket before he sort of pump faked moved both of his feet, and then hit a layup. And it was like, if you're ever going to call traveling, that is a moment to call traveling. It's incredibly obvious that he traveled. And it's like, well, that's Tony Parker, and it's late in a playoff game. You're not going to – why? then why have the penalty? <laughs> why have it at all? It's never called. It's so crazy. You know, at its essence, it's the, it's the point of basketball, right? The thing that makes basketball interesting is that the only way you can advance the ball is if you're dribbling it. And you're not allowed to walk without dribbling. And yeah, that's the one they never call.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, there, there was another play in, uh, I think it was in Dallas, uh, San Antonio where somebody caught a pass, like on the fast break and took three giant steps to the basket and then yeah. laid it in. I mean, bad enough that, that I think Marv was doing the game. So maybe I I, I don't remember, but it was like, wow, well, he got away with the travel, like live, you know, was able to say it live. And then they showed it on replay, and it was just, it was laughable. And the guy got fouled, and he was at the free throw line. They didn't call it. And I I just thought, and it wasn't a good, it wasn't that good a player. And I thought, well, they're not going to call traveling. It was the first quarter of this game with this guy, and they're not going to call traveling. They're clearly not looking for it at this point. I mean, they're just not, it's not on their radar screen. They're not going to call it unless it's, hey, you know what, we ought to call traveling once or twice every game just to remind people that it's still a rule. But other than that, I don't think they do call traveling. I don't think – that Tony Parker play seemed to me live looked like traveling. On replay it looked like traveling. But it didn't matter. There was no way they were going to call traveling, not only because it was late in the game. I don't think at that point traveling is even in their mind as a penalty. I don't even think that it's sort of like it's just gone. It's just completely gone and they don't call it in college basketball either um i it's it really seems to me like it should be kind of a fundamental part of the game don't you think i mean
1: yeah to me it's like holding in football right it's like it's a it's like a a very basic thing that you can't do because it it destroys the fabric of the game and it happens all the time the difference is that holding is often called in football and traveling is never called in basketball <laughs> um with
0: my third pick, I am going to take um, signing of an incorrect scorecard in golf. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that rule. Um, if you sign an incorrect scorecard in golf, um, there are two potential penalties for that. If you sign an incorrect scorecard in golf that has your score lower than your actual score, let's say you shot a 78 and you sign for a 77, um, you're you're thrown out. That's it. You're your your that's your 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 tournament is over. You right. are right. banned from the tournament. However, if you sign a scorecard where you give yourself a worse score than you actually had, seventy nine instead of a seventy eight, um, you just get the worst score. You you get it, you still get the score. You get to stay in the, the tournament, but you get the worst score. This to me is so awesome. I I just, I think this is so great. It's like golf plus math all thrown into one thing. And this has actually had a huge, huge effect. I mean, most, most people out there sure know about this. Uh, At the Masters, uh, a a golfer named Divincenzo shot a 65 on Sunday at the Masters and was in a, was supposed to go into a playoff with Bob Golby, but his partner, Tommy Aaron, gave him the wrong score, gave him a 66 instead of a 65. He signed it without looking at it, basically. Trusted his professional golf partner to get the score right. They gave him the wrong score, and he lost the tournament. Okay. Now, that's harsh. I mean, do you not feel like, you know, I mean, we're talking about you, you intentionally walk a guy, he gets one base. Your partner screws up a score, and you lose the golf tournament? That seems harsh to me.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. That's one of the craziest things that's ever happened in sports. Absolutely. I mean, it's like the most important tournament in the sport, and it's this incredibly, like, genteel rule that's like it's about honor. or it's like, and, and the obvious, like, common sense would say, well, the guy, it doesn't matter. It, it, was, it had no effect on the actual playing of the game. You should just cross it out and write the other score, and they should go to a playoff. <laughs> And it's really, it's kind of crazy that that's, that that happened. I mean, that's like, the, that's the masters. It's so crazy. It really is. And the,
0: the great thing about that is like other sports or other kind of events, if that happened today, it would, he would lose the tournament again. It's not like they changed the rule right. or they've got more lacks on it. I mean, other than like that Tiger Woods drop last year, which everybody made a big deal about um, other than that, It's still the rule you signed the reason people thought Tiger Woods should have been um, should have either withdrawn from the golf tournament or or been thrown out essentially is because they gave him a two stroke penalty he didn't sign for it because of course they hadn't given him the two stroke penalty yet. And because of that, he essentially signed an incorrect scorecard. That's the reason that people wanted him thrown out of the golf tournament is because he signed, not because of the drop, but because he signed an incorrect scorecard. Right. That is that is awesome to me. That is so, we're like, we're totally in the 1850s. I mean, it's, there's like nothing new has happened. Nobody's invented the calculator. Nobody, there's no, nobody's out there to like double check your math. They're like, nope, just we are sticking with this. If you don't sign the right score, you are out. You are completely out of the golf tournament. I, I just, I find that great. I, I think there should be more, um, you know, more penalties that just throw people out for like the most inane reasons. I, I'm just, I'm entirely for that.
1: Yeah, no, I had that on my board at like number four or five. So uh, it's a, it's a great, it's like that anecdote about the masters in 68 is great. It's like, it's just one of those, like, it's like the pine tar incident in baseball or something. It's just this incredible moment where an obscure rule led to an incredibly important outcome.
0: And and it's a shame because Roberto DiVincenzo is a fantastic guy. I did a big story on this when I was working for the Augusta Chronicle. And I called him and he's, you know, he's been asked about this 10 million times, but he'll still, like, just go on and on. You know, he made the famous quote after it happened. What a stupid I am. And I mean, it was just, it was the guy could not be more awesome. And Bob Golby is like the grumpiest, angriest person Uh ever. So you ask Bob Golby about it. He won't talk about it, even though he got the green jacket, he actually got to win the golf tournament. And maybe, maybe in some ways I can understand because you know, and a lot of people feel like maybe it wasn't legitimate and he feels like he would have won anyway. I I can understand to some degree, but I think the guy who got thrown out should be a little bit angrier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird, but uh, no, it's a great pick. I I wholeheartedly support it. Um, for my third pick, I'm going with, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct.
0: Oh, very good.
1: Very good. I like it because it's an incredibly funny way (laughs) to describe what's usually very insane behavior. Like, a guy will rip off his helmet and throw it at another guy and then like stomp on his face. And the call is unsportsmanlike conduct. It's just like whatever the, whatever the, it's like, you're, it's really like an attempt to put a good face on, on usually totally insane behavior. And the, and like, it, it's like a, it's sort of the last line of defense in football for like people just doing really crazy things in a very violent game. Um, And I just like that. I like the sound of it. It's just very, I I just, I I like the actual term unsportsmanlike conduct. And it's a, it's a big penalty, you know, it's 15 yards and you can get thrown out if you get two of them and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just, I just always like the way it sounds when, when they call it.
0: It's fantastic. It's a fantastic pick. That was almost my third pick and there's, and I have specifics, of course, the sportsmanlike conduct goes, in in across sports i mean it's yeah. not just in football i was going to read this to you and i have this pulled out just for you here are the penalties in hockey okay these are the major and minor minor penalties in hockey abusive officials aggressor penalty attempting to injure biting boarding butt ending broken stick charging checking from behind illegal check to the head clipping cross-checking delay of game diving elbowing eye gouging fighting Goaltender tender interference headbutting high sticking holding holding the stick hooking illegal equipment instigator penalty interference joining a fight kicking kneeing leaving the the penalty bench participating in the play behind the red line roughing slashing spearing substitution infraction throwing stick too many men on ice tripping and unsportsmanlike conduct <laughs> what is what what could unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct be
1: at that point i don't it, it's funny cuz i looked up the penalties in hockey too and i like that there's a penalty against fighting which is hilarious <laughs> cuz they fight constantly but there's a separate penalty for joining a fight joining a fight which is like what what's the difference between fighting and joining a fight just get just you can just have fighting that takes care of everything <laughs> but apparently
0: having eye gouging butt, butt sticking but whatever cr- delay cross checking eye gouging fighting hooking none of these cover unsportsmanlike conduct like unsports- it's like you know, and then the really bad stuff—that's unsportsmanlike. I I just love that they felt like you know what—you give people ice and sticks and skates. Who knows what they're going to do to each other? We need to just put in an all-encompassing unsportsmanlike conduct, just in case people do stuff we hadn't thought of. I, I yeah. just I find that to be amazing.
1: Well, also the crazy thing about it is it also suggests that biting was <laughs> enough of a problem that it needed its own penalty like how often was biting happening that they were like we got to create a separate category for this <laughs>
0: people might think it's under unsportsmanlike conduct but if we don't specifically say biting yeah they might not think all right that's i just unsportsmanlike conduct is the best named penalty i think we would have to agree on that yeah and it's just the best because it's so all encompassing somebody yeah. does something you've never seen before that's boxing should have that like Mike Tyson should have been uh, thrown out because of unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah. You know, that's like, well, you know what? You're not allowed to bite a guy's ear off. In a, that's... Sport,
1: where the, in a sport where the intent is to punch a dude's face. Right. As as he can. <laughs> like he actually found a way to do something unsportsmanlike.
0: Unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> that's a fantastic one. Fantastic pick. All right. With my fourth pick, um, I'm going to go with a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit off the board. It's not exactly a penalty. Um But I'm going with hit by pitch as a penalty um, because I love the fact that if you hit a guy with a baseball, it's one base. I I love who came up with that. Like who said, yeah, that'll do it. That'll that's enough of a of a drawback. People are going to avoid hitting people because we're going to take you know, they're going to get a base on that. And that's to me, that's. A lot in baseball, we we spent a lot of time talking about the intentional walk along these lines, too. There's a lot in baseball that doesn't, if you look at it now, you've got these perfect distances between the bases and this wonderful 60 feet, six inches from the mound to the plate. And this timeless field and the way it looks and the way it, it, it you know, the, the game flows. And it's very similar the way it was 40 years ago or 80 years ago. And all of that's beautiful. And that there are lots of things in the game that you're just going, that does not seem like enough of a deterrent to stop somebody from doing that. And to me, nothing more speaks to that than hit by pitch. I, it's clear, obviously, the hit by pitch has been a big part of the game. Uh, it's your it's your pitcher weapon. He doesn't have to hit you in order to scare you, but you know that he might hit you. Uh, he's going to take the middle, the the inside of the plate, you know, using the hit-by-pitch and all of that sort of thing. He's going to retaliate if you act like a jerk. But one base, that's it. Throwing a baseball at somebody at 95 miles an hour, that feel like that deserves more than one base.
1: That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. I mean, the, the thing that I hate about hit-by-pitch is that it's allowable to wave it off if the batter didn't make a good-faith effort to get out of the <laughs> way of the pitch. And talk about, I mean, forget about traveling that is truly never called never called never called and there's guys like you know Shane Victorino who now plays for the Red Sox he start he's basically hovering over the plate and he leans into every pitch and he gets hit on balls that are actually over the plate and it's never called and Don Baylor used to do the same thing it's like he would just kind of turn his shoulder and let the ball plunk him on the on his massive back and and the, it's like I, it's weird it's like a it, there's some kind of old, world like agreement that the umps have that you just don't call that ever like they should call that probably 30 percent of the time you know guys are like leaning in or turning into these pitches and that you never ever ever see that called
0: no no and if they called it a few times it would end because nobody yeah. wants to get hit by a pitch so okay. it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna get hit by the pitch and you're not you're not even gonna get your base you're, you're gonna stop doing that i also don't think by the way that every, every hit by pitch is the same. Like it's a base, whether or not, like if they hit your uniform as you're trying to get out of the way, they give you first base, they plunk you in like the shoulder or the neck. It's one base. It's like exactly the same thing. And it's a, it's a base. If you don't get out of the way on a ball, that's clearly a curveball you're leaning into. But it's also like, if they throw like a fastball, like at your knee or whatever, uh, that also is one base. I, I just, I think the whole penalty thing is off.
1: Interesting. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going with a, a kind of a similar penalty for my number four, which is the balk. Ooh, the balk. The balk is a great penalty. <laughs> it's it's incredibly small and subtle if you twitch your shoulder when you're in a set position with a runner on base. And it's also like it, it there's like 78 things that can be a balk, <laughs> and no one really understands all of them. You sort of get the general idea of what a balk is but it's very exciting when you're just watching the flow of the game because, you know, you're, you get used to this rhythm where it's like a pitch is thrown and then something happens and then there's like the downtime where the catcher is kind of milling around and the infield is kind of kicking the dirt and then there's sort of a slow buildup. The pitcher gets on the rubber, looks in, gets the sign, comes set. The fielder's kind of getting into a ready position and then a thing happens and then you start over. And the balk is one of the only things that can kind of interrupt that flow where like you're in the build-up phase and then suddenly an umpire is waving his arms and <laughs> people, the crowd starts to roar because one section of the crowd gets what's happening before everybody else does. And you don't understand. And then you look and the guy's trotting from second to third. And it's just, it's like this weird rare bird that kind of flies by a baseball game once every, you know, two weeks or something. and, it's crazy because it can literally like winning runs have scored on balls. Sure. Like it's a it's a really big deal to move all of the base runners up one space. And remember there was that year meant fifteen, twenty years ago, when in the off season the umps got together and they're like, All right, we're not enforcing the bulk rule. We really have to crack down. And in the first month of baseball there were more balks called than had been called in like the previous 30 years combined. And suddenly everyone was balking all the time. It was this crazy overcorrection of enforcing the rule. And then it kind of settled down. Like now it's kind of called at about the same level and stuff. But it's just there's all these specific rules. Like when you when you bring your hands up, you have to pause there have to be a pause, but they don't tell you how long that pause is at all. Like it's just like a again, it's like you know it when you see it like they have to you have to come to a set position for some amount of time that's like a third of a second basically it's just a very funny rule that has very intense consequences should they be enforced
0: it's it's such a it's such a fun penalty that's that's such a good choice um it is the only penalty in sports where not only do people not know what it is but people think it is something it's not it's like the only penalty where people will scream balk when it's clearly not a balk right? and never scream balk when it is, ever. You never be like, hey, balk, and the umpire goes, yeah, you're right, balk, never. <laughs> it's always just like, ah, the game's going on, oh, wait, oh, that's a balk, we better, let's go to the replay. I've never heard an announcer call a balk before the balk. I yeah. don't believe I've ever heard one, and I've never seen one before the balk that I can remember Seeing like, oh, that's a balk. Other than like obvious balk moves that they don't call. I mean like the Andy Pettit move right. um, where they didn't call it. Where that was like, eh, that's kind of a balk, but they're never going to call that a balk.
1: Yeah, I mean the rule on that is you have to step toward the base you're throwing to. And, and lefties have that way of of perfecting like a uh, sort of a 40-degree angle right. between, <laughs> between first and home that where the angle of the first base ump and the home ump, neither of them can tell that they're not actually stepping toward first base. And Pettit did that. I mean, Pettit was the master of that. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of lefties who are good at it. Pettit was the true master. He knew the exact place to put his foot in order to get away with throwing to first, which is why he picked off so many guys in his life. But the thing that everybody, the things that everybody thinks are boxed that aren't are like the fake to third, right. throw to first thing. Or the like whip around and fake to second thing. Those are not boxed because for some insane reason, you're allowed to fake throwing to second and third, <laughs> but you're not allowed to fake throwing home or to first. There's no reason for that at all. No, I they, they did get a, rid of yeah. the
0: third base. They got rid of the third base move. You're not allowed to do that anymore. You're not right. allowed to the,
1: do the first. This year, but this is the first year, the first right? First year of it,
0: yeah. 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 The second base move makes no sense to me at all. Why should you be allowed to fake throw to second base?
1: There's no reason for it at all. It's like it's it's completely nonsensical.
0: That's so beautiful. That's what's it's it's so great about baseball. But I love the idea of it being like a rare bird. You're right. It's like when you see one, it's kind of like something you're going to talk about. Like, hey, I saw a balk yesterday. I mean, it's there, there, and you still don't know what. Like, if you're at the ballpark, they'll never show the replay. Of course, you'll never know how he really balked. No, you know, you'll just go, "Well, he must have balked." Yeah, that's, it's really fun. I, the block is a fantastic penalty. All right, we're down to number five. I've got so many choices still on my board, but I'm going to go at number five with goaltending and I'm going to go with goaltending for kind of a similar reason to um, to the reason I picked uh, number one, pass interference, goaltending at this point, certainly at the highest levels of the game, if goaltending was allowed, there would be no basketball. There, there would be nothing, and there was a long time where there was no goaltending, and it's to me that's another awesome moment in the history of sports where somebody was watching basketball and they went, "You know what? That guy's tall enough to like keep the ball from going in every single time if yeah. we don't if we don't put a penalty rule in here that prevents him from doing that." And you know, Will Chamberlain is is sort of famous for for the offensive goaltending rule being put into play. And uh, and, you know, which is which is not as good, in my opinion, as the defensive goaltending, because they miss it all the time. And it's just kind of not it usually takes away a basket, which is not as much fun. Um, But defensive goaltending is so fantastic because it's so simple. It's like you're not allowed to block this ball from going in. You can't do that. You're not allowed to. But in order to do that, you have to make the rules. So the ball has to be on a downward plane And they never get it right. They don't, there's no, there's no way they can look from the angle that they are looking, which is usually what, five, six, seven feet below the ball. There is no way, unless it's obvious, there is no way to know whether that ball has crested or not. And so they miss it all the time, but they still have to have it in play because otherwise it's, it's chaos. It's not even a sport. There's, there's nothing you can do. So love goaltending love when they call it love when guys do it on purpose remember when patrick ewing like the first five shots against north carolina in the championship game he like purposely goaltended kind of like i'm just here making a statement love that i I wish more teams would do that yeah it's also, it's also
1: exciting because it's the result of what looks to be a really exciting play which is a which is like a rejection which is a very exciting play in basketball and then it's like oh no they get two points you know it
0: <laughs> yeah no you're right and it's and it really does if there's a wonderful feel to the goaltend because it's always argued nobody ever goaltends and like doesn't i mean unless they do it on purpose nobody ever like goaltends and doesn't argue about it they always are like no no the ball was on the way up and i mean there's it's 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 dramatic and it's conclusive that's the other thing i like about it two points no you don't have to shoot free throws you don't have to like do anything else that you're just getting those two points they're yours
1: i don't like the version of goaltending that happens when the ball has already hit the backboard i that's a less good version of goaltending to me you think it's it's fine i just it's less exciting like the (laughs) exciting one is when a guy goes in for a layup and a guy comes out of nowhere like Serge Ibaka comes out of nowhere and like, hit, you know, drives the ball into the third row of the, of the audience. And, and that, that's really exciting. But the goaltending where it's like a guy hits, goes in for a layup and, and the guy kind of traps the ball against yeah. the backboard. That's kind of the, that's a, that's the less good version of goaltending. I
0: think. Although I like that sound, that little smack of the ball against yeah. the, against the thing. That's, that's pretty good. I, I like the fact that people used to just smack the backboard. In yeah. order to make the ball bounce in a different way, yeah, they should be allowed to do that still.
1: <laughs> well, for my fifth pick, I usually go. I usually kind of take a flyer on like a a, a wild card. Sure. Um, I almost went with palpably unfair act. I thought about that too, which is great. It's the rule in football that that mean that says you can't like run off of the sidelines and tackle a guy who's running for a touchdown, which is a really funny. It's like I guess what Mike Tomlin would have been charged with if he had if they had actually called that penalty. If he had like prohibited in that in that game at the end of last year, um, I almost went with the pine tar, the rule mm. against pine tar because of the Pineda incident recently. Um, but I'm actually going with a more classic choice for my fifth pick, which is intentional grounding. Yeah, I love intentional grounding. The reason I love it is because it is the most sort of empathetic and understandable penalty, which is basically you're the quarterback, you have the ball someone is broken free and is trying to kill you. And you just have given to a very human instinct, which is just, you just heave the ball in any direction just to avoid being murdered. That's basically why intentional grounding is called. And I I just, every time it happens, I just, I feel for the quarterbacks because their job is so hard. And the reason that they did it is because they were about to just get utterly annihilated by someone. And I'm like, you know what, buddy, that's a penalty. It's loss of down and a spot foul, and it's putting your team in a big hole. But I get you. I just I understand why you did what you did, and I do not blame you for doing it. Uh, it's also very exciting when it happens when the quarterback is in the is, is in his own end zone. Sure, is so that it's a safety, which is always exciting, and that's happened in the in the uh, in the Super Bowl, the Patriots Super Bowl against the Giants, the second one on Brady's first possession. And it was a weird intentional grounding, which is he just threw the ball like 60 yards down down the middle of the field. And it was totally the correct call. They got the call right. But it was a very gutsy call in a Super Bowl to call that against Tom Brady on his first possession. I thought, and it's like, yeah, no, that's intentional grounding. He was in his own end zone. He was about to be tackled for a safety, and he thought he would try to get away with something. And he didn't get away with it. And uh, I just—it's a great. I just love it. It's a great penalty.
0: It's a great penalty. I. One thing that bothers me about the penalty is that they keep changing it, kind of keep changing the rule and adding a couple things. Now you can, if you if you're out of the pocket and and you, you you know you cross the 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 first down marker or you cross the line of scrimmage and you do, I just wish they would make it simple. To me, the Tom Brady, uh, penalty, the call in the in the uh, Super Bowl was technically pass, I mean, uh, intentional grounding. I mean, there's clearly it was. Yeah. However, I believe that if you can throw the ball 60 yards downfield or 50 yards downfield, it should not be. That means you had enough time to do that. I think that it should not be. To me, the only thing that should be called intentional grounding is when you kind of do that Jerry Lewis, like, ah, you know, and you just throw the ball right into the ground, you know, or, or pretend like there's a receiver in the area and you just kind of fling it into that area and then start pointing at a guy that was actually 40 yards away. That's intentional grounding. To me, the Brady thing was weird, but like I, there should be some, something in there where you're allowed to throw the ball away, you know, and that was, that was like, Hey, there's nobody open. And I'm going to get hit here. You don't know, used to be. You could just if you threw the ball out of bounds, they would never call it.
1: Like if you. Well, threw I don't it- know. I mean, you have to be out of the outside the tackle box, right? To throw the ball, the ball has to go to the line of scrimmage, and then and then and you have to be outside the tackle box. So like well, I'm, I'm saying, the provision. I I like it because, but in that instance, it's like they're forcing you to try to make a play, which I think is good. They're removing a kind of like I'm giving up on this. Like they're forcing you to like participate in the spirit of the game. By not allowing you to just huck the ball as far as you can and start over, I think, I th- it's, good, I think it's the right call. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that that aspect of the rule.
0: Okay, well, I, I just feel like there should be some element for uh, if you have time, and maybe you make it like you literally have to throw the ball fifty yards down the field because that would be fun to watch anyway. That would be it's just fun. flinging have, the like, ball down the or field. Or if
1: there were like a like you know in those like punt pass and kick competitions, <laughs> they have those like targets on like tackling sleds that are moving across the field it should be like if you can hit one of those targets 50 yards or more down the field it's not intentional it's grounding. not
0: intentional grounding it's you're taking a chance but i to me the best intentional groundings without question are the ones where like the guy is like coming right up and you just you can almost you can't see his face obviously because you've, you've got the face mask on but you can just sense the Nothing is really happening in that guy's head except for, like, that guy's going to kill me. That's it. That's the only thing. And at that point, you don't even know why that ball's in your hand. You're just like, just
1: get, stop, just get rid of it. It's just a human, it's like a human, it's a very primal human survival instinct. That's what it is. It's (laughs) like, that's when intentional grounding is called, is when a human being is like lizard brain. (laughs) Has taken over and is like, I'm not thinking about anything except not dying.
0: I just don't want to die. And if I get rid of this ball, that'll happen. Yeah. So yeah, it's fantastic. All right, a couple that I did not get to go that I really wanted to. Uh, I didn't get to do the foot fault in tennis, which I sure. love. Foot fault's so awesome. Nobody ever calls it. And when they do call it, it just creates so much anger. It's yeah. it's, it's so fantastic. And then really one that I really wanted to pick was – it's kind of along the lines of, of, of offside – is the false start in track and field. I, I think that to me is the basic – thing it's like sure. you, you're you not allowed to go until we shoot this gun but if you go early false start that's your penalty
1: yeah it's really I, is it like if it happens twice or three times you're disqualified
0: two times i believe just, in fact it wasn't there a no tolerance at one of these things i mean wasn't that how usain bolt got uh got thrown uh in one of these was because it was uh there was a no tolerance like one one time was enough to get uh, to get suspended that seems
1: crazy to me that's, yeah that's too much that's too much uh, i think two is the right number it's like you get one uh, it's just like you're it, everyone's nerves are, are are very frayed and it's very you know dramatic and stuff you should be allowed one fall starting swimming or track or anything like that i think
0: i agree i agree all right did you miss any
1: i almost did i i i, I very much like the penalty in football Which is called a legal touch, which is usually it usually happens because a thrown ball bonks into the back of a offensive lineman who's not looking at the play, which is just very funny. And also for absolutely no reason that I can discern, the penalty is five yards and loss of down, which is so extreme for a ball bonking into the back of an offensive lineman. It's like what? Who cares? Why like why did that why is that a that's such a dramatic penalty? There's very few penalties in football that include loss of down. Intentional grounding is one, obviously. But, like, illegal touch for whatever reason. I'm sure that there was a reason for it in the old when it was invented. But I don't know. I couldn't find the reason for it, why it's so draconian. Um, but I just I think it's really funny when an offensive lineman is sort of in a, like, I'm just standing here <laughs> trying to block and guard the quarterback, and the ball just hits him in the back of the head or in the butt or something. <laughs> it's always funny to me.
0: It's a good penalty it's a good yeah. penalty. one other one that we have to mention is uh is uh face mask grabbing the face mask sure um for years, you know the the first grabbing the face back penalty i mean it took a long time for them to actually give football players face masks um but when they did in the mid fifties or so, there was a penalty you weren't allowed to grab the face mask except for the ball carrier uh-huh. and and that was the rule for like six or seven years was the rule. You were allowed to um, grab face mask of anybody, but, uh, not allowed to grab face mask of anybody rather, but you were allowed to grab the face mask of the ball carrier. Like that was that was a rule. And then finally they went, now that doesn't,
1: that was stupid. Who else's face mask would you want <laughs> to be grabbing?
0: I think they were just basically saying, if you're an offensive or defensive lineman, you can kill that other guy. You, you're not allowed to just totally just right. grab his face mask and, and, and do that. No. But if it's a ball carrier, hey, he's got the ball. So tear his neck off. We don't really care. And they, of course, you know, fixed it. And now it's just, it is, it is definitely the penalty that stops the game like most dramatically. Like as soon as it happens, everybody in the crowd's like, Oh, cause you know, it's going to get tagged on at the end. It's like, uh, and it's huge. It's you, you know, cause they, they almost never call that. Do they still even have that five yard variety where you're no, like, they got rid of that. They got rid of it. So it's like 15 yards end of the play. And it does whatever this guy does add on another fifteen yards to
1: that. Well, they, I also am a fan of the difference between running into the kicker and roughing the <laughs> kicker. That's a good one too. Like it's because it, again, it's like it's the difference. Usually, you know, if it's fourth and seven and the guy's punting or whatever, it's like either it's nothing or it's a massive change <laughs> in the in the flow of the game. And the the punters and kickers are the only people who ever really do the equivalent of like flopping in basketball. Like if a guy gets anywhere near them within five yards on a punt, they'll just like, whoa, and just totally <laughs> flop up in the air and crum crashing to the ground as if they were completely upended. Even if a guy just brushes against their uniform. It's like they they're one of the only in the in a very violent game, punters are kind of the only people who get to attempt to sell a penalty like that. It's really it's always very funny to be when they and they just completely over the effect of the of the contact with the defensive player.
0: By the way, who made these punters and kickers royalty? I mean, like who made you like those guys? I'm sorry, untouchable. Not allowed to touch them. Everybody yeah. else, you can do inhumane things too. But those well, guys, don't
1: touch them. They're getting a little more consistent with it now because I assume that the ruling was because they're in a sort of vulnerable sure. position. Sure. And now, you know, I think that's sort of what what the like new, you know, hitting a defenseless receiver kind right. of penalties are. They're trying to limit the effect of contact on people who are not in any physical position to defend themselves. But it's still very funny when they're <laughs> when the when the punters flop like crazy.
0: And that is a great moment where they're like, "Nah, running into the
1: kick. Yeah, five uh, cuts. Nothing.
0: nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, just go on with your business. Just go on." <laughs> All right. Well, as always, another another successful uh, successful podcast. So I uh, want to thank you again. And My we'll, pleasure. We'll do this again soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.